0: Thanks, bud. I love getting to share gifts with you all. May the Lord be with you. Let's pray. God, today we remember how high the stakes were. When you sent your son and started a rebellion against the empire. And so Emmanuel, God with us, we know you've already journeyed, immigrated to come and be with us. Now help us to journey to you in this time. That we might joyfully kneel down and offer you all our gifts. Amen. In this time when people are saying Happy New Year, I want to say Merry Christmas. Because it's still Christmas. Merry Christmas. Turn to somebody and say Merry Christmas. We're, we're still in the 12 days of Christmas until tomorrow when the church calendar uh, recognizes, uh, as, as Susan said, Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany means revealing or appearing. And the church gets to celebrate the arrival of these wise men, these astrologers from the east. So each Sunday through Advent and Christmas, we, it, it's like we're getting a little bit more of the big reveal each week. It's like those those house remodeling shows, Valerie Valerie makes me watch them, Um, uh, those house remodeling shows where the truck pulls away, right, or the old photo of before gives way to the after, Uh, and we get to see this big reveal, Uh, and we get to see it over these weeks in in and for different uh, characters in the story. We saw it with the prophets, with John the Baptist, with John's mom Elizabeth with Mary. On Christmas Eve, we looked at the part, that, the part that's often hard to, to get through, the genealogy. We looked at the, the family tree of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. We recognized these outsider Gentile women who were part of Jesus' family tree, that he was both Jew and Gentile in his family story already. So with each week, we've been putting new characters into the nativity scene. In the final group In whom Matthew reveals to us the revealing of who Jesus is, this final group is these wise men. Like these four outsider women in Matthew 1 who are part of Jesus' bloodline, the wise men come to Jesus as outsiders. Chapter 1 uses the word Genesis to talk about the birth of Jesus, the beginning of a new beginning, like the beginning of a new year, turning the page. Now in chapter two, as Valerie preached last week, now in chapter two we go from Genesis to Exodus. Chapter two is about a new Exodus. The whole Holy Family become these refugees from political violence. They're seeking asylum in Egypt before returning not to Bethlehem, but to Nazareth in Galilee. And so as Valerie said, we, go, we went a little bit out of order about how it is that Jesus came to be this refugee. King Herod wanted to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem because he'd been tricked by these magi. And so Joseph learns in a dream that he should take Mary and Jesus and flee to Egypt. Asylum seekers, refugees. You know, I I think maybe our sentimentality and commercialization of Christmas sometimes have made us just think about, oh, sweet sweet baby Jesus, right? No crying, he makes. We think maybe, oh, a baby is safe, unthreatening, we think. Now, any new parents learn that a baby actually is a threat, provoking change from your old way of life, but we forget that and just go goo-goo over the baby. It's like we read Matthew chapter 1. We sometimes might read uh, Matthew chapter 1. Maybe we skip that genealogy part, though I hope now you have new eyes for it. And then we stop at chapter 2. Genesis, we like. Exodus gets scary and uncomfortable. But here in chapter two, we learn through the arrival of the wise men that Jesus actually is a threat. We don't know that there were three magi, we just know that they had three gifts. So we know that they're astrologers of a sort. Gentiles coming from the far off east. They follow this star. They make this long pilgrim journey. They show up at the place that you first look for a king. The palace. The center of all the action and power right there in the capital, Jerusalem. And they naively ask, they, they ask, where is this one born king of the Jews? We saw a star. We've come all this way to worship and honor him. It's a little like they, they show up and they say to Herod, this puppet for the Roman Empire, they come, they come up and they say, well, Herod's there as a puppet to keep an eye and a hand on the Jewish people. And then they show up and they say, it's like they say, who's in charge here? Can I speak to your supervisor? Now when someone says, if this has ever happened to you in a job, when someone says, can I speak to your supervisor, when you are the supervisor, one, you know that they don't like how you're handling your authority. And two, they're looking for a higher authority who might be more helpful or at least more palatable. So of course, Herod sees this baby with not just a rumor, but a supernatural star. This baby is a threat. So where's the threatened embodied? To those who know the tradition, who knew the prophets, you would think that this would be something that the acting king of the Jews would want to know. So I I think he must be either pretty arrogant or pretty lazy. But the scribes know. They say, well, the prophet Micah said Messiah is going to come from this little backwater town called Bethlehem. See, I would think that if you do that, that would mean that King Herod and Rome would want to have Bethlehem on like lockdown, walled off, constant surveillance. But part of how rebellions and revolutions work, friends, is they get overlooked and underestimated by the powers that be. Bethlehem, why bother? No matter what the scriptures say, our eyes tell us nothing much ever comes from Bethlehem but maybe Herod thinks maybe I should get the wise men to be my unwitting spies just in case so I like to say that here Epiphany Sunday I don't always I don't often say that the Lord be with you but it seemed right today because in this story I think we have the original Star Wars the star in the sky this baby in a feeding trough They've set off political dynamite. So I haven't yet seen uh, the new episode nine, the conclusion of the Star Wars saga, the rise of Skywalker. But this Christmas season, I was just hearing from a few of you that it's good. So I, I, I got to check it out, especially after preaching the sermon. But this Christmas season, it was, it was one where uh, I got the gift of my kids encountering Star Wars for the first time. So on Christmas Day, we watched the original 1977, so we made sure we knew older than mom, but not older than dad. Uh, I was a baby. Uh, We watched A New Hope. And I saw again how Star Wars echoes the Jesus story. Long, long ago, in a Galilee far, far away, The original episode, The Return of the Magi. There's an empire who's ruled by a dark lord Vader. The empire is ready to destroy any territory that it cannot occupy. There's this tiny rebellion against that empire. There are Jedi, these strangely spiritual sages who can tap into a supernatural power with the force. This force that's all around if only you can learn to see it and be part of it. There are messengers who bring dreams and visions from afar. Here they are these droids, R2-D2 and C-3PO, who bring the message from Princess Leia, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. There's a young boy in a backwater place who leaves his small dusty farm to join Obi-Wan, who teaches him the ways of the force, who remains with him even after his body dies. There's an empire, and there's a resistance, and if you don't actively resist with the help of spirit and friends you and yours are probably going to either get destroyed or swept up into the ways of the empire and I got to see this all again through these fresh eyes of Jacob who's four and Caleb who's almost eight and it was awesome and if you know my kids there were also lots of questions who is this what are they doing is, that a, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Jacob's been asking a lot about good guys and bad guys lately. He said he, 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 that's what he wanted for Christmas. He said he wanted good guys and bad guys for Christmas. What, we knew that what he meant was this package of 10 little Star Wars figures five from the Empire, five from the Rebellion. And these figures are about the same size, turns out, as the figures in our Fisher Price Nativity that was out on our coffee table as we were watching the movie. And so as we watched the movie, Jedi Knights and stormtroopers are gathered around baby Jesus <laughs> with the rest of them. And then so th- throughout the movie, Jacob asked, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Sometimes I tried to answer, but then Caleb would say something like, how do you know? You could look at the colors of their laser blasts or their lightsabers, but mostly I just had to say, watch and see. You'll see who are the people who work for good, for faithful friendship, for self-sacrifice, against all odds, who try to protect others. And you'll see who's in it for themselves, for power, for hurting others. Han Solo, for instance. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? Not totally clear for most of the movie. He's definitely in it for himself, for the money, but he comes around. He comes around to friendship with Luke and Leia and working as part of the resistance. Obi-Wan, he'd chosen to sit on the sidelines with his Jedi power until he's drafted back into the rebellion. Vader, well, the kids don't know this yet, but he was once a promising young Jedi, Anakin Skywalker, before he crossed over to the dark side. So it is in Matthew, Empire, Rebellion and the Magi caught in the middle. Eugene Boring, a theologian, put it this way, he says, "'A king is born, but a king is already here, "'and there's room for only one king.'" Herod says he wants to bow down with gifts at Jesus' feet as, as well, like them, but really, it's a trap, as Admiral Akbar says in Return of the Jedi. So they, they go with their gifts, fit for a king, Carried for hundreds of miles in these heavy treasure chests because they knew that they were going to meet a new ruler. So they brought gold to show his worth. Frankincense that was used only for the Jews, it was used only for worship in the temple. So he must be not only king, but high priest. And myrrh for anointing. That's what Christ means. It's not Jesus' last name means anointed one. Jesus could be anointed to assume the throne. He could also be anointed to be prepared for death. And death was coming. But not yet for Jesus. The wise men could have fallen into King Herod's trap. but They were warned in this dream not to go back to the ruler from the dark side. They went home, verse 12 says, by a different route. I love that. Once you meet Jesus... You acknowledge him as the true and good ruler. You can't go back to the way things were before. Nothing is the same now. With this revealing by a star and dreams and ancient prophecies, you can't ignore what you've seen, what you've encountered. It elicits a response. Now you have to decide which king you'll serve, empire or rebellion. I think the Magi have much to teach us as pilgrim travelers. These ones who've come from afar, who've traveled to meet and honor Jesus. For Matthew, like Jesus' Gentile and immigrant grandmothers in the family tree, the Magi show how Jesus isn't king only of the Jews. He's a king for everyone. All the ethnic groups, all the regions, all the world. How can we follow the lead of these Magi? You know, I'm amazed by their faith, by the lengths that they will go to, all to go to Jesus. When I used to work with uh, college students, we used to train students to encounter scripture in a new way. And the method was really simple that we taught. It was O-I-A, observe, interpret, apply. Observe. What does it actually say? What stands out to you? What's repeated? Who are the characters? Where is the conflict? What's the author's main point in this passage? And then interpret. Okay, so we saw what does it say? Now we say, what does it mean? How is this understood in its original cultural and religious context? Who are these people and places? Why does the author put it this way and not some other way? And finally, the the work isn't done until we apply, respond, respond. What does it mean? What does it say? What does it mean? And now, what does it mean to me, to us? I wanted stu- students to learn that the Bible is more, than, it's more a story about God than it is a story about me as an individual or even my people, whoever that might be. But God's story recruits new actors every day. And we have to find our place to join in God's love story. What about this scripture changes my life? How can I relate? What do I need to recognize or remember or change or share now that I've read this and heard this? What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? I love how we see the magi go through this process. They see a star. They're astronomers. That's what they do. But why does this particular celestial event mean something big enough that they're going to travel long distances with expensive gifts? Somehow they know that this star means the king of the Jews is born. They don't know enough to get all the way there without some help from the Jewish tradition and prophets. But they know that they need to go. They could have just said, hey, cool, new star, shrugged and moved on. They weren't Jews. Why do they care who the king of the Jews is? But they went from observation to interpretation to application. They knew the star was relevant to them. It was a beacon beckoning them from afar. It was the same with their dream at the end of the passage. It wasn't just, huh, did you just have the same dream that I had? It was, this means Herod is the real threat. So we have to return differently the way we came friends epiphany invites us to see to really see with mindful new eyes so where do you see God showing up in the midst of all the mess how can you be aware and grateful mindful grateful not for all things but grateful in all things even in the hard stuff where are the silver linings You know, I'm looking forward to some new office digs after our flood. Someday. The Magi remind us to be always observing. But we can't leave it there. What's the meaning of what you see? What's the force up to here? Is this a sign of the rebellion or is it a sign of the dark side? And then we have to go and live it. Embody it in our own place and time and, trans- and situation. We have to translate it to our place. What does it mean to me? What does it mean to us? What does it mean to our world now? I love that these rich scholars don't just sit and pontificate about the meaning of this star, but they go. You know, rich scholars tend to be pretty good at just sitting around talking, but they go. They go with Faith and hope and love. They go with openness and courage. They go at great personal cost. They get started before they have all the answers and they listen as they go. So there are these multiple levels of new observations and interpretations that lead to new ways to do, as Valerie reminded us, the next right thing. So, some epiphany traditions you may know. When we eat our king cake at Epiphany through to Mardi Gras before Lent, we have to remember that the baby that you find in that one piece of cake, remember who it is. It's Jesus. We've got to tell that story. We have to recognize how we needed enlightening and we've begun to glimpse it. We are the epiphanized ones who recognize that the good king has arrived, that the empire's days are running out. When we walk through a doorway that's chalked, have you seen this tradition? A doorway that's chalked with the traditional initials of the three kings, CMB, we have to consider the spirit with which we enter something new. CMB chalked on a door frame also stands for the Latin, may Christ bless this house. And so every doorway for us can be chalked. An occasion for blessing, an occasion for a new beginning. Every doorway can become a prayer. How am I chalking the doors? Doors that feel closed or challenging. How am I chalking even the doorway to my own heart? Epiphany as the original Star Wars invites us to reconsider this question. Who are the good guys and the bad guys? The truth, and you see this in Star Wars, is that we're all a mixture of both. We're both saints and sinners. We gather together in good times and in hard times. We gather together because, not because we have it all together and we need to show that to each other. We gather together because we need each other. We don't have it all together. We're still learning. We're being enlightened. We're evolving. We're still on a journey. We're working to bring our gifts and become more like Jesus. And we're not all the way there yet. So while there are real forces of good and evil in the world, I think it's important that we not assign people or groups an identity of all good or all evil. All beloved they are. That was sort of a Yoda way of saying that. We live in such polarized times. Politically and in our churches. In our segregated neighborhoods and even sometimes in our own households. But it's as Paul writes in Ephesians 6, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, in the UMC, you may have read about the proposal announced Friday to split up the church. The Express News uh, quoted me and others about it today. I don't know if you've seen that. You know, it, it talks about irreconcilable differences. And I don't actually believe that we have irreconcilable differences because I trust and hope in the reconciliation of all things in Christ. But I also acknowledge that there may be times to go our separate ways, at least for now. So as it shares in your, in your newsletter, we're going to be working on how to resist harm There's a website that you can check out about that. Um, We share that in the newsletter about resist harm. But we have to remember that as we are resisting harm, even as that while we're resisting harm, we're also praying for flesh and blood people who are doing harm. Sometimes us. We have to believe, friends, that people change. Hopefully we've seen it. We continue to see it hopefully in our own lives. You know, in Star Wars, Anakin goes over to the dark side, but then you have Finn, this stormtrooper who defects from the Empire to the Resistance because he sees how cruel the Empire is. It's never too late to go a new way. Especially at the start of a new year, I think we need to hear that. It's never too late to start to go a new way. Someone said that, In times like these, in these conflicts, we only have two Christ like options. We can either learn to work together or we can part with a blessing. Those are our only two choices learn to work together, part with a blessing. So if we have to part ways with anyone, let's do so with a blessing. We are all on the way, folks. We're not all the way there yet. We're still in need of more enlightening. But having seen what we've seen, we can't go back the same way. We can't stand in a lukewarm middle. Who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Well, maybe maybe a better question is where do we see God's goodness? Where do we see God's force at work? As we told Jacob, watch and see. Watch and see. And so I'll conclude with this, these words from Howard Thurman that I put in last week's newsletter. And then we're going to share together the immigrant's creed that reframes the story for me every time I hear it in a helpful way and I hope for you. as we've been talking about the nativity, the advent as an immigration story. So Thurman, uh, who is a mentor to uh, Martin Luther King writes this. When the song of the angels is stilled when the star in the sky is gone when the kings and princes are home when the shepherds are back with their flocks the work of Christmas begins to find the lost to heal the broken to feed the hungry to release the prisoner to rebuild the nations to bring peace among the people to make music in the heart so may God show us the way give us the strength to do the work of Christmas. May God shine a light into every heart, including mine. Amen. And so we will continue. Uh, I'll invite you to stand as you're able. We don't often do uh, creeds as a church, um, and we want to be open. And uh, sometimes some of us have had bad experiences that feel um, dogmatic. But I I really love how this creed kind of tells the story in a new way that I need to hear. And so let's share it together. I believe in Almighty God, who guided the people in exile and in Exodus, the God of Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Babylon, the God of foreigners and immigrants. I believe in Jesus Christ, a displaced Galilean, who was born away from his people and his home who fled his country with his parents when his life was in danger. When he returned to his own country, he suffered under the oppression of Pontius Pilate, the servant of a foreign power. Jesus was persecuted, beaten, tortured, and unjustly condemned to death. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, not as a scorned foreigner, but to offer us citizenship in God's kingdom. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the eternal immigrant from God's kingdom among us, who speaks all languages, lives in all countries, and reunites all races. I believe that the church is the secure home for foreigners and for all believers. I believe that the communion of saints begins when we embrace all God's people in all their diversity. I believe in forgiveness, which makes us all equal before God and in reconciliation, which heals our brokenness. I believe that in the resurrection, God will unite as one people in which all are distinct and all are alike at the same time. I believe in life eternal, in which no one will be a foreigner, but all will be citizens of the kingdom where God reigns forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated.